We're privileged as we worship the Lord to read further from God's Word. And this morning, let's read from two little books in the New Testament, close to the end of the New Testament, Second John and Third John. Second John and Third John. And our text for this morning's service will be from third, 3 John, the second verse. But let's read both, path, both books. Hear the word of the Lord. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have, have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For... Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. And then we go to the third epistle of John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but the autophies who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. 
Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. As I said, our text this morning is verse 2 of this last epistle from John. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. This morning, dear congregation belonging to Christ, we get to consider a goodwill wish from John the Apostle for his dear friend Gaius. Yes, that's the name of his friend. And that name is a Roman name, Gaius, which means he was likely a Christian from the Gentiles. There are at least three other people with the name Gaius in the New Testament, all of whom were somehow, in some way, acquaintances of the Apostle Paul. This Gaius of our text is likely another Gaius, though we're not sure even about that. We do not know anything more about him than what is said about him in this short letter. You notice that John doesn't write him as an apostle, as much as an elder. It could be that Gaius was also an elder in the congregation where he served. Again, we do not know for certain. What is clear is that John writes this Gaius, viewing him as a dear, beloved friend and fellow believer. The word beloved, speaking of Gaius by John, is found at least four times in this little letter, 3 John, in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 5, and verse 11. Obviously, John appreciated this Gaius very much. He speaks of Brother Gaius as a gracious model and great blessing for the Christian church and for the extension of the gospel ministry in his time. Congregation, how wonderful to have Gaius types in the Christian church today, too. Including in our church, in our churches here in Langley, too. Praise God when there are Gaiuses in the congregation. How good to pray and desire to be like Gaius was long ago in our generation and century now. Do you want to be like Gaius? What we want to focus on when we pursue this question this morning is, is especially verse 2 of 3 John. We read there John addressing Gaius saying, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper or succeed in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. This is both a goodwill wish and prayer for Gaius. How special, by the way, and meaningful when our goodwill wishes for each other are also prayers for one another. When you and I say to each other, I, I wish you a good day, or a blessed week, or a great summer, or we say, Happy New Year. How good when those are not just words from us for one another, but actually petitions and intercessions to God for each other. That surely is the case in our text. 
The goodwill wish of John for Gaius was also his prayer for this brother. Is that characteristic of us as well? As we think of others and wish them well. Are our desires and and goodwill wishes for one another also prayers to God for each other? How good and, and no doubt relevant it is for us to look closer at what John actually wished and prayed for his dear friend Gaius. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The theme for this sermon based on this text is John's prayerful desire for Gaius. Let's consider and learn together how it's truly remarkable and instructive and precious. With our first point about how truly remarkable this prayer wish for Gaius is, what do you see as remarkable in what John here says? Maybe I should first just explain the use of that word remarkable. When we say something is remarkable, we mean it's noteworthy. It's something astonishing. It's almost out of the usual. It's something you could say extraordinary. What do you find extraordinary and remarkable in 3 John verse 2? Would you agree with me? Isn't it remarkable that John wishes and prays here for Gaius' physical and material well-being that it be as great as his spiritual health? We don't normally say that, do we? Namely, I hope you are doing as well physically and materially as you are spiritually. If anything... We tend to reverse that usually, don't we? I see you are doing well physically and materially and hopefully spiritually too. That you are in a healthy state. But notice in our text, in this case with Brother Gaius, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? It's the exact opposite. Listen to how one commentator brings out this point. John's prayer he wrote for Gaius is significant. Gaius' spiritual state was so excellent that John prayed that his physical health would match his spiritual vigor. To ask about one's health was standard custom in ancient letters, but John accepted the convention in a unique manner to highlight Gaius' vibrant spiritual state. End of quote. Now I ask, I ask you, don't you find this too truly remarkable? If I would wish for you that you be as well physically and materially as you are spiritually, would that be a prayer wish you would appreciate? Or would you say, oh no, pastor, if you, if you pray like that, I, I would be in big trouble physically and materially because, well, my soul condition and my, my spiritual health are are nothing much to speak about. If anything, more in poor shape than in good shape, or more sickly than well. If anything, my friend, Elder John, please please pray for me that my spiritual condition will be at least as healthy as my physical and material condition. 
Can you identify with me and with that more, you might say? Would you be in really bad condition if you were in other ways as your spiritual condition right now? How true what another has said here too. There are multitudes of people who are deeply concerned about the health of their bodies and who bestow the utmost care on the needs of their bodies. But they never give a thought to the health of their souls. How remarkable is the contrast in this case of Gaius. You see it with me. Indeed, for you see, here we find out about this Gaius, a dear Christian friend of John in the early New Testament church, that he is prospering spiritually above all. And the hope is the same will be true for him physically and materially as well. You know what else is remarkable about this? Clearly, John is not just being a flatterer. That is, he's not just here saying something nice without really meaning it at all. No, John obviously has evidence that this Gaius is really doing well, spiritually speaking. Do you know what the evidence is? Well, we read about it. We read it in the verses following. This Gaius, what are we told about him? He was walking in the truth. This means his, he had a Christian confession of faith and he held to the truth of God's word and it showed to in his genuine godly behavior in life. Gaius walked the talk in the way of grace and truth. He had a godly reputation with others in the church and outside the church as being someone who humbly and heartily steadfastly practiced what he preached. Gaius wasn't a phony, hypocritical, Sunday-only type Christian. No, no. He was a person you could tell in his daily conduct. He truly loved God's word. And he followed the Lord in spirit and truth by God's grace. In fact, John mentions, notice in the little book, two clear details about, Christian, about Gaius' Christian walk. For one, he was very hospitable to Christian workers, ministers and evangelists who would be passing through the area and who would need a place to stay. Though the people would be strangers to Gaius otherwise, simply because they were traveling Christians in the service of Christ and his church and his gospel cause for Gaius, he would gladly host them and help them along in their basic needs. Showing Christian charity, beloved, and hospitality and generosity, also in our day, is a key demonstration of true spiritual health. The second evidence of Gaius doing well spiritually is that he loved helping in a way that would somehow further the faithful gospel ministry and extend the gospel cause around the world. In other words, clearly, this Gaius, he loved the brethren and he loved Christ's church and gospel cause and he lived in promotion of it. When and where he could, as he was able, this was his, his focus and his passion in life. You read it in the book. Gaius' life, in other words, beloved, 
showed the fruits of true faith and faithfulness before God and others. We read in verse 3, other Christians spoke to John and others about what a blessed brother in the Lord, both in creed and conduct, was Brother Gaius. Can that be said of you and me as brother or sister in God's family? You know, sometimes people think and even say about themselves that they are doing very well spiritually. But there's no evidences of that in their life. There's no growing love for the truth of God's word and no genuine and obvious care for God's church and kingdom, both for its workers and for its extension. But not so with Gaius. He was clearly someone who loved Christ and his church and kingdom. He was opposite that other person that John mentions in this book, of which a whole other sermon could be written, no doubt. This, this man named Diotrephes, verse 9. As attractive as this Gaius is and was of, of a model Christian, this Diotrephes, mentioned in verse 9, is someone repulsive and offensive. Diotrephes comes across neither as an attractive nor model church member, though he was a leader in the church at that time. Diotrephes, we learn, was a person always looking to elevate himself in the church. Everything was about him. He was out for himself, his own honor, his own prestige. In contrast to this brother Gaius, who was out for others, out for God's glory and for the good of Zion, and who humbly and zealously gave himself for that cause, Diotrephes lived only for himself. You know, congregation, when you and I are spiritually healthy, like Gaius in our text, then that same is true of us in various degrees. And it's what we pray for, that it may be more and more true of us. And blessed the church family where the members are like Gaius, both so genuinely Christian in faith and focused in godly service as he was in his life. How wonderful when you and I are so transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. No longer serving sin and self and this world, but seeking and serving the Lord and his church and kingdom. Is that the way it is with you under the gospel ministry here? Are you filled with love to God? Love for his people? Love for his church and kingdom? Isn't this what all Christians want to be like? Do you want to be gay as like in this regard? Isn't this what we pray for and desire as parents too for our children? And as believers for our loved ones and for those who are unsaved that we know, for those around us who don't know yet the Lord, and as consistory for the congregation. John writes about having no, other, no greater joy than to see his children walk in truth. And for true believers, there's no greater sadness when you have children, loved ones, church members not walking in the truth. Congregation, do you believe with me there's nothing that can be as important and necessary, shall it be well with us, that we walk in the truth and live accordingly, like Gaius? Is this not what you and I emphasize also in the bringing up of our families, our children, and in our relations with others around us when it's well? Don't we believe, don't we confess, I do, everything is out of sorts. If a person is not right with God. 
as one study Bible note mentions, the most important prosperity is the flourishing of the soul in union with Christ. Paul says the same in Philippians 3. He says, I count all other things but dung, useless. Compared to this, knowing Christ and being one of his and following after him. And Jesus teaches the same, didn't, doesn't he, in Mark 8 when he says, What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? Well, do you and I live caring about our spiritual health and that of others as the highest priority matter in our lives? Can we not say, beloved, correctly, this is what our text surely is commending to us this morning. Should we not see behind John's prayer wish for Gaius what God himself actually is clearly holding before us as something we should never forget and always keep in mind? Your and my condition and future can never be described as healthy and well if we are not redeemed by Christ and not loving Christ nor living for God's church and kingdom in our lives. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 14.30, it says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh. If you don't have a sound heart, you have no life. Even now, and maybe especially now in our times, with so much in crises, health, in the health care system, and in all, in every way, almost every, in everything, there is fallout on so many fronts in our dark days. What is it, considering our text, that you and I need to have and to keep congregation as our primary focus and care and preoccupation that it be well with our soul? Yes, that Jesus be your and my Savior and Lord, and that we live daily in private and in public in humble dependency and devotion to Him. And that if we say, yes, praise God, it is well with my soul, that you and I also then so live that it can be backed by clear evidence in our lives. By your fruits you shall know them, said Jesus. Well, how good when you and I learn from Gaius and John's prayer concerning him. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. If this prayer and text now of 3 John verse 2 convicts you that, that you need to reorient your life to a truly biblical and Christian mindset and focus, will you repent before God and, and ask for Him to make you Gaius-like too? Will you do that? Let us realize Gaius here is not some exceptional Christian in what John writes about him. But with him, we are shown what true Christianity looks like, as opposed to false and worldly Christianity. Isn't it like what Jesus himself taught in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the other things of life, physical health matters and, and material well-being, that shall be added to you. Too often, and I speak to myself as well, too often we seem to want to add the spiritual to our main focus of caring for ourselves physically and materially. But God's Word teaches us here that the spiritual matters be our highest priority in life 
and we can look to the Lord for our physical and material well-being as well as further gifts of His mercy and grace in our lives according to His wisdom for us. Well, are we listening, congregation, to this verse? 3 John, verse 2. John's prayerful desire for Gaius. Let's not miss how truly remarkable this text is. 3 John, verse 2. And secondly, let's notice how truly instructive as well this verse is. How is it truly instructive? Well, we already mentioned in the one way uh, how it helps us to be reminded of what needs to be your and my priority in life always. Isn't it instructive too, congregation, how God again and again in his word in so many places and in so many ways goes out of his way to remind us of this matter. He's mindful of our human frailty. He knows our frame. He knows our busyness and our cares. He understands our forgetfulness and how easily we can lose focus and get sidetracked and distracted from putting first things first in our lives. Even in church life, I have found it. You can make yourself so busy, but still with mind and heart, be estranged from God. The devil loves to have us become caught up and in everything and anything except with our hearts looking to Jesus and abiding in Him and His Word. But let us learn from, from the example of godly Gaius and John's prayer in regards to him always to put the Lord and His Word and way first, His church and kingdom first and foremost in our lives. Having stressed that, however, so far, do you not find our text 3 John verse 2 so wonderfully instructive in at least two other ways? Key ways. And I mean here, isn't it instructive for us the way John here doesn't discount the matter of our physical health and our material well-being? Congregation, nowhere in the Bible... Are we taught to despise or belittle the cares in life in regards to our health and our prosperity? No, please know and be assured the Lord cares about that too for us, namely our physical and material well-being. God made us flesh and bones, body and soul, and He cares about all our needs, including our physical and material well-being. Can we not find this reassuring considering to the very difficult times in which we are living in right now? I mean, we are facing daunting health challenges and very critical economic difficulties. All I need to do is mention gas prices. And you go, oh yeah, it's challenging. Come to Alberta, it's a little bit less challenging, but not much. It's It's expensive. But listen now, we may bring also all the matters of daily life involving our health and wealth, anxieties and concerns to the Lord in prayer and know that He cares about that too. The Lord, congregation, isn't only concerned about you and me spiritually, but you and me physically, mentally, emotionally, materially and spiritually. God is out to care for His people in every way. 
for soul and body, for this life and the life to come. The scriptures invite us, therefore, doesn't it, to call on God, casting not just some cares upon him, but all our cares. First Peter 5, 7. You know, it's not wrong to be working and striving to do well and to prosper in this life. In fact, this is how God made us. We were made to have dominion over the earth and to excel in living here for God and good with our whole being. And what our text brings out, we may prosper in this life and busily seek that even as long as our focus remains being spiritually minded in all things and seeking above all, not our glory, but God's glory. And not our earthly home here, but our heavenly home in the world to come. As Paul teaches in Colossians 3, we are, if we are Christians, we are to live in union and communion with Christ. And with our mindset being not with things here on earth, but with things to come in heaven. Life here on earth is only temporary and there is an eternal world to come. I preached a few weeks ago in my own church from Hebrews where we are told, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come if we're healthy pilgrims. But our text here now shows us how we can easily become imbalanced in our life. Our default imbalance, yes, is to be all focused on the here and now and to forget the hereafter. At the same time, congregation, and I need to remind myself of this as well, we need to beware of the imbalance of disregarding the here and now and thus minimizing our earthly physical cares and responsibilities as if they don't count for anything. And even thinking, well, God just doesn't care about that all, that part of our lives. That's not so. He cares about our whole being. Here we can refer even to God's counsel to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. You remember? During the Babylonian captivity, we read in Jeremiah 29, verse 5 and following, God speaking through his prophet to the people there, saying, Build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. The reason for bringing this forward, beloved, is to stress the importance of balance in our outlook. And life's attitude and behavior. You know, we are not healthy, exemplary Christians when all focused on God and His church and kingdom, but caring less about our daily responsibilities and about our body and our business, our daily jobs and our responsibilities. For our children and youth too, never is it right for them to think or say they're so spiritually minded that they can't be bothered with their schoolwork or with taking care of their bodies as best they can or with helping in the chores, with the chores around the home. Here it's not out of order for me also to mention, it is a characteristic, dear congregation, of cults, of cults, and of all false religions, 
to be imbalanced in one way or another. You know, some cults, for example, they emphasize so much one or two aspects of the Christian faith while completely ignoring and even discounting other aspects. So, for example, a cult may say, forget your family connections when joined with us. And likely they will say, forget your money resources, for now they become the common resources of and possession of the cult leaders and community. Likewise, you know, I think, too, with me, how some false religions may so emphasize the call to fast and trance meditation that they discount proper eating and they, they, they talk about, about losing your mind, letting it go. Emptying your mind. Well, the Bible speaks about filling your mind, renewing your mind. The Bible's so balanced. Do you see with me how our text can so help us against such false belief and, and imbalanced practices as it highlights our spiritual health above all without in any way discounting or denying our physical and material well-being in life. How important, congregation, that we each see this holy, wholesome balance that the scriptures time and again teach us when rightly understood and faithfully followed. Still on cults, today there are cults and so-called wellness movements which are basically semi-Christian and, and plainly unchristian too. And, and they, they, they refer to themselves as holistic and loving Jesus groups, but, but they, you know, you can say they, they, they resemble more diotrophies in 3 John. They're out for their own glory or for their, for their special brand of medicine or, or special diet that they've developed. And it's all about them and their glory and the success of their cause. It's not balanced at all in the way Gaius was and that John prayed Gaius to be. There's a lot of false, so-called, holistic teaching and behavior out there, dear congregation. Also at our universities. That may appear so attractive at first, but prove, however, to be anything but holistic. Oh, how we need to be discerning of the evil spirits and the antichrists in our times. What reason to pray to for our younger generation that they not be taken in by the smooth-talking lies of the wicked one out to ensnare our children and youth in the way of the devil and this ungodly world instead of the way of God and his holy, unchanging, infallible word. So with this text before us, it's not improper for me to ask, is it? Are you balanced in your thinking and living? Especially, too, in regards to your testimony of Christianity and as church member in our times. Shouldn't we all, when confessing believers, aim for holy balance in our lives and true blessing in our lives in the way of 3 John verse 2? How good when we pray for each other to be spiritually healthy and that our physical and material well-being be clearly blessed of God, too. Again, this doesn't necessarily mean, beloved, that we will never suffer material setback and financial loss or physical sickness and even death. But when viewed in the humbly dependent biblical perspective of our text, we know we have comfort and help 
in all our earthly journey. Yes, including in the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, the triune God in and through Christ Jesus. He's the complete Savior of sinners. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. Yes, in our every need, soul and body. What if someone here says, though, and maintains yet, I'm just not interested in this, Pastor, what you're all talking about, this Christian teaching. What the Bible holds before us as the only way of salvation and comfort in life and death, namely of belonging to Christ. I'm simply not convinced. And I'm turning my back on it. Well, it could be that's your spiritual mindset and attitude right now, even though you're in church. And what shall we say to that? Well, it's not what we say to that. It's what the Bible says to that. And the Bible says rejecting Christ and the word of his truth, that will leave you deluded in your blindness in sin and self. And it will lead you onward in an imbalanced, empty life and in a hopeless death and a terrible eternity under the righteous judgment of God in soul and body. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We read Peter say in 1 Peter 4, verse 17. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? As a contemporary preacher has faithfully written, quote, You should be terrified if you have the truth, and yet that truth does not grip, control, and transform you. You know what I read this the other day in Ezekiel 21, verse 21, about the heathen kings? They looked to and they trusted in animal livers and other superstitious, superstitious omens like that, rather than trusting the one only true and living God. Will you trust in animal livers rather than the God who made us, and the God who is from everlasting to everlasting, the God who revealed himself in his word and in his son, Jesus Christ? What fools we people can be in this world by nature. What blind fools of ourselves. Oh, I pray that no one of this church family live and die rejecting the only gospel teaching of God's word as it comes to us in all 66 books of the Bible. Yes, also just from 3 John and especially verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Dear, dear congregation, we have John's prayerful desire for Gaius. We have seen this verse brings out gospel teaching truly remarkable, truly instructive, and notice yet briefly, truly precious. What is most precious is that this prayerful desire for Gaius and by all Christians, for all Christians, is one that the Lord delights to answer. The Lord delights to answer it. In and through His Son, Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier, God is a complete Savior. We, in our sin, we have become lost sinners and everything's been spoiled and ruined in ourselves. Sin has made us so miserably distorted and deformed and deranged, such ruined image bearers as human beings. But this is the gospel. Jesus came to make us whole. Think of Jesus' question to that paralytic in John 5, verse 6. Do you want to be made well? Be made whole? And Jesus made him whole. 
That's Jesus' specialty. He makes whole, miserable, lost sinners, soul and body on the way to hell. He makes us whole. And how did he do it? We know what the gospel is, isn't it? Jesus, when he was here as Savior, he lived perfectly in his soul before God. And yet he suffered, didn't he? He suffered in a way we can never fully grasp the full wrath of God against sin on sinner's behalf. And as a human being too, physically, in his human frame, he was sinless. Yet how he suffered and endured so much anguish and torment in body, especially when nailed to the cross, suffering there unbelievably in body and soul. And as for prospering in this life, we know Jesus, well, he had very little to his name, didn't he? What poverty and shame he went through, often having no place to lay his head. Imagine that. He had to borrow a donkey when he needed one. And his food and drink often were donated to him, given to him by others. What does Paul say in Second Corinthians 8? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Oh, beloved, with Jesus, as you are my Savior, by grace through faith in Him, He not only promises us, us all the help we need all our lifetime, here and now, soul and body, but He pledges an eternal world to come where all the redeemed will forever flourish in perfect health, in every way imaginable, soul and body. Yes, spiritually, physically, materially, mentally and emotionally, and socially too. Jesus came to give abundant life and fullness of life and everlasting life in a totally balanced, most beautiful, blessed way already here in part. And then in an infinite perfection hereafter forevermore. This is the gospel, honest truth. I believe it with all my heart. Don't you too? Our points, if you just take the first letters, spell R-I-P which we often use to say, rest in peace. You can rest in peace when you look to this God of our text. Body and soul. Though your body right now may be disintegrating, He will take care of that. And He takes care of your soul. And He will make you whole, beautifully whole, in His grace and power. That's His promise. And His resurrection from the dead and His ascension right now, seated at God's right hand, guarantees all that He has said he is a yea and amen. Well, John's prayerful desire for Gaius, truly remarkable, truly re instructive, and truly precious. Even so, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and, that, and be in health just as your soul prospers.